welcome to This Week in Video Games episode 90. My name is Tom Kershaw and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. Well this week I've been playing Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl plus getting stuck into the Halo Infinite multiplayer that was released just after I recorded the last podcast. So I've also been catching up on some of my backlog items and playing through It Takes Two plus checking out the creepy card game inscription. So as always it's a busy show so let's get to it. Welcome to the show, everyone, and I hope you're well and you're having a good week. Now, I'm good this week, and that has been made even better by the early Halo Infinite multiplayer release. And I did discuss the possibility of this happening on the podcast a few weeks ago, and the very next day it actually happened. I can't believe it actually happened. It never happens. So I'm super happy with it, to be honest. You know, it plays and it feels like Halo I remember from the Halo 2 and 3 days with some modern twists. I've also been checking out It Takes Two, and I'm playing through that with my wife. It's absolutely fantastic, plus it's on Xbox Game Pass 2, meaning it's going to reach an even wider audience. You know, I wouldn't be too surprised if this walked away with the Game of the Year 2021, which we've got coming up in the next few weeks with Jeff Keighley's Game Awards coming up on the 8th of December. So it's definitely an event to keep your eyes on. You know, not only do we have the Game Awards themselves, but... Two years ago, at that very event, there was the announcement of the Xbox Series X, so who knows what announcements we're going to get at the awards this year. No doubt there's going to be a surprise or two, plus it's back in person with a filled event. Yes, people are actually going to go to an event, and to be honest, that feels just great. Well, I've been getting all nostalgic this week with Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, plus I'm going to be looking ahead to the next mainline Pokemon release with Pokemon Legends Arceus. And that one isn't too far away at all, coming in January 2022. Well, before we get into the podcast proper, I've got another podcast review to read out. And if you want to be featured at the start of the show, in the review section, then write a review via Apple Podcasts. You can check out the link in the description of the podcast or the show notes. Leave a review and I'll read out in the coming weeks. So this one is from Ads London. And Ads says, all you need in one place about the video games industry this podcast is getting better and better as the weeks go on. And Ads London gave it a five-star review. So thanks, Ads. And I hope you're doing well. And thank you so much for the review. Also, shout out to Paul, who sent me a message on Twitter. Thanks for listening, Paul. And I hope you are having a good week. Well, next up, I wanted to plug the podcast Patreon so you can send in your questions and your stories for community questions by signing up to Patreon. So for as little as $2 a month, you can sign up to go on Patreon, where you can get access to exclusive Discord rooms, Send in your questions and your comments to be read out on the This Week in Video Games podcast, and you can access exclusive content and get early access to content too. So there's plenty of benefits over there on Patreon, plus you get to support the show and help This Week in Video Games become a little bit more self-sufficient. Well, that is about it for my waffly intro today, but let's check out my review of Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. Well, Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl follow in the footsteps of Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee to bring back a classic Pokemon adventure with modern updates. So this is a Pokemon adventure from a simpler time and allows fans to relive their Sinnoh adventures or take them on an adventure for the first time. It's also the perfect way to get ready for Pokemon Legends Arceus. Well, Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl takes you back to the Sinnoh region 
which is based on the real-life Japanese island of Hokkaido. It's a classic Pokemon story where you're a local kid and you've got your friend or rival and you journey through town after town, battling Pokemon as you go, all the while collecting and researching the Pokemon of the region. So we've got gym leaders to fight, Pokemon to level up and evolve in your quest to become the best Pokemon trainer the Sinnoh region has ever seen. Well, Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl keep things simple and don't really play too much with the winning formula of the original games when they first came out. There's no mega evolution, there's no gigantamaxing. You know, catching Pokemon is easier too. Simply whittle down the energy and then throw a Pokeball and hopefully catch the Pokemon to add to your party and also your Pokedex too. Well, in recent entries, there's been plenty of distractions away from the main core mechanic that made the original Pokemon games great. You know, additional mechanics and gameplay elements have been thrown into elongate battles and complicate the simplicity of Pokemon, leaving many fans scratching their heads as to what Game Freak is trying to achieve. You know, the games became more about the theatre of battle rather than the strategy itself, and it's great to go back to a simpler iteration of Pokemon and enjoy the core mechanics once again. Well, Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl do a great job of keeping you focused on your goals. You know, once you pick up your starter Pokemon, then it's off to the next town, battle and level up along the way, and then try and beat your local gym leader. Well, the underground area has been given a revamp in this iteration on the Nintendo Switch, and this is first unlocked a few hours into Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. You can access the underground from plenty of places in the overworld, and once you're there, you can set up your base, find secrets, and check out some of the new and rare Pokemon. So it's really useful for getting rock and water Pokemon when you are in a tight spot, trying to take on powerful gym leaders that are standing in your way of progression. Well, the underground is also the perfect place to hunt for shiny Pokemon. So the underground is optional as well, which is a nice feature. So you can go down there if you find yourself in a little bit of trouble. But if you want to mainline the story, then you can. So there are some features added to the game which could fall into the category of quality of life upgrades. For example, you can use the HM moves without having to teach them to your Pokemon, and you can easily swap in and out party members. So these quality of life upgrades don't try and force Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl to be something that they weren't, but they offer modern features to ease the player through the game. So there is a balance here. You do want it to feel familiar and nostalgic to appeal to the gamers who played it when they were a kid or a teenager, but you also want it to feel welcoming to new players of the title. And overall, I think the developers have done a pretty good job here. Well, Pokemon has changed over the years, and if I were a new player, it'd probably be a tough decision on where to start. So maybe the obvious answer would be Pokemon Sword and Shield, as they are the most recent entries and include all the evolution features a modern Pokemon game has to offer. Personally, I played the most Pokemon when it was red and blue on the Game Boy, so this simple style of Pokemon really hits me in the nostalgic right places. Yeah, running through the story, battling and collecting Pokemon without having to worry about the peripheral mechanics of modern-day Pokemon made the game an absolute joy, albeit driven by a little bit of nostalgia. So the game itself is fun, if somewhat a little bit repetitive, but for me it's a coin flip in terms of recommendations on where to start. This game represents what Pokemon was, not where it's going. Plus, we don't have long to wait for the next major evolution in the Pokemon franchise. It's only a few months away with Pokemon Legends Arceus. That one is coming out in January 2022. Yeah, it's almost as if Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl aren't made for modern-day Pokemon fans, but fans who've since grown up and perhaps moved on to other games. Fans of the original Diamond and Pearl will revel in the joy of these remakes, but also fans who played the first and second generation of games will feel happily familiar with these remakes. 
So Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl may not have the bells and whistles of modern-day Pokemon entries, but for me, that's a benefit rather than a drawback. The gameplay is clean and sharp, easy to understand without the distractions of the other entries, so whether it's a trip down memory lane or you're new to the series, Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl are solid games and would definitely scratch that classic Pokemon itch that you may have been craving. Well, the developer is ILCA. It's published by Nintendo. It's available for the Nintendo Switch and originally released on the 19th of November 2021. And for this review, I focused on Pokemon Brilliant Diamond, but you also have Shining Pearl out there if you want to go to that. Well, that is my review of Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, but next up, let's look towards the Pokemon future with Pokemon Legends Arceus. Well, Pokemon Legends Arceus is coming up soon in January 2022, and even though it's coming out earlier in the year, I definitely think it's one to keep an eye on for 2022. So this is the Sinnoh region long ago when it was known as the Hisui region, plus it looks like it's going to be one of the most ambitious Pokemon games to date. Well, today I'm going to round up all the information that we have about Pokemon Legends Arceus, and because I'm in the Pokemon groove at the moment, given Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, I want to get hyped for that new release. Well, we've had a couple of trailers from Nintendo so far, and the game looks like it's a cross between Pokemon Sword and Shield, Monster Hunter, and Breath of the Wild. Now, I don't think it's going to be totally open world like Breath of the Wild is. You know, it could be much more like Monster Hunter, where you have a base, and then you venture out to hunt Pokemon. Well, Pokemon Legends Arceus is the next mainline entry in the Pokemon series, and the follow-up to Pokemon Sword and Shield. Well, the Pokemon company has promised to take the game in a bold new direction, which is exciting news for fans, and when the first trailers came out, it looked like it was going to be straight up Breath of the Wild, but in Pokemon form. But the Pokemon company have since clarified their position, with it being more like Monster Hunter plus some open world elements. So this is going to be an iteration towards the full open world Pokemon that fans seemingly want, but it's probably not going to be this entry. Well, the Pokemon company said this to Kotaku, so in Pokemon Legends Arceus, Jubilife Village will serve as a base for the surveying missions, and after receiving an assignment or a request and preparing for their next excursion, players will be sent out from the village to study one of the various open areas of the Hisui region, and after they finish the survey work, players will need to return once more to prepare for their next task. And we look forward to sharing more information about exploring the Hisui region soon. So in regards to the story, Arceus takes us back to the Sinnoh region, which was the setting for the Diamond and Pearl 4th generation of games, However, it's not yet the Sinnoh region, it's long before that, and it's called the Hisui region. So here we get to create the very first Pokedex of the region, and the trailer does leave clues for the story, saying even humans and Pokemons are yet to live side by side. The trailer describes the Hisui region as a tale a long time ago when the lives of Pokemon and humans were still separate. So it's our job to create the very first Sinnoh Pokedex, so we have to go out there and discover, watch and catch the Pokemon of the region and be part of the Galaxy Team survey. Well, the game is set long before the original Diamond and Pearl, so we get to check out an older ecosystem and what will become the Sinnoh region setting in the future. So for fans of the Diamond and Pearl games, there's bound to be a few hidden Easter eggs in here. And in terms of the terrain, we've got mountains, seas, beaches, and that includes the famous Mount Coronet. Well, the Jubilife Village is going to be our main base where the Galaxy Expedition team is set up, and we use this as our little hub, and then venture out to track down new Pokemon species. 
The Galaxy team has various members in the region, including the leader of the Medical Security and Survey Corps in Hisui, who are going to meet them along the way. So we've got Captain Silene. Well, they are the leader of the Survey Corps, and she's a big fan of ours. You've got the Commander Kamado. So he looks after the Galaxy Expedition, and he wants you to join his team. Well, gameplay looks like it's been changed up in many positive ways in Pokemon Legends Arceus. You know, there's the standard catching and battling of Pokemon, of course, but this expands the experiment of the wild area from Sword and Shield into the main game, rather than just having it as a cornered region. So Game Freak, the developers behind the game, said of the project, So Pokemon Legends Arceus represents a new approach for the series. You can head out on a research mission to observe the Pokemon in their natural habitat, and you can take up a survey assignment in the Jubilife Village. So excursions, they start in the village, but you're going to be starting out in a base camp where you can buy the materials and items to help you on the hunt. So in terms of hunting Pokemon, given now you can see them out in the world rather than randomly coming across them in the long grass, you can sneak up on them either in battle or catch them from behind. So Pokemon are going to react in different ways with regards to how you hunt them, so you can use the environment to sneak up on them if you want. So basically, you can sneak up on in the long grass, behind a rock, things like that. Well, Pokemon Legends Arceus is introducing new move styles to the game too. For example, when you start a battle, you can choose between strong and agile styles, and both have different effects. The strong style is going to increase the power, but you slow down, whereas agile is going to increase your speed, but it's going to lower the power of the move. Well, Arceus also have their own version of the Galarian Pokemon, which includes the Hisuian variants. So we've seen in some of the trailers the new Pokemon variants and evolutions, and you can find out loads more on the Pokemon Legends website, and most crucially, you can also ride the new Pokemon. So in terms of the starter Pokemon, Game Freak is switching it up again and offering different starter Pokemon from different generations. So we've got Cyndaquil from Gen 2, Oshawott from Gen 5, and Rowlet from Gen 7. And finally, you've got the name Arceus itself, so it's pretty important to the story overall. So this is a legendary Pokemon that is said to have shaped all there is in the world. So this is a normal type Pokemon that was first introduced during Gen 4, and could be found in Diamond and Pearl by playing the Azure Flute in the Hall of Origin. So that wasn't an item that could be found in the game originally, but rather it was released as an event-exclusive item, and players have been on quite a journey to actually get that mythical beast in their game at the time. So it was then known as the original one, and it's even thought to be the Pokemon that created the Sinnoh region itself, if not the Pokemon universe, including a whole host of other mythical Pokemon, such as the Late Guardians and the Creation Trio. Well, loads of information there about Pokemon Legends Arceus, and what with Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl coming out recently, I tell you what, I'm really, really hyped for this new Legends Arceus release. Well, if you're a fan of Pokemon, let me know. Get in touch through Patreon at patreon.com forward slash thisweekinvideogames. I would love to hear what you think. Well, that is it for my look forward to Pokemon Legends Arceus. Next up, let's have a look at the all-platform charts. Well, number 10 this week, up five places from last week's number 15, it's Just Dance 2022. And number 9 this week, it's Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, the Jewel Pack. And number 8 this week, up three places from last week's number 11, it's Far Cry 6. And number 7 this week, it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, down two places from last week's number 5. And number 6 this week, up eight places from last week's number 14, it's Marvel Spider-Man, Mars Morales. And number 5 this week, it's FIFA 22, down three places from last week's number 2. At four this week, it's Call of Duty Vanguard. 
And number three this week, it's Battlefield 2042. And number two this week, it's Pokemon Shining Pearl. And at number one, it's Pokemon Brilliant Diamond. So it looks like a really good week for the new entries with the Pokemon series. With Pokemon Brilliant Diamond at number one, Pokemon Shining Pearl at number two, and you've got Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, the dual pack, that is at number nine. So congrats to Nintendo for all those entries in the top ten. Well, that is it for the all-platform charts, but next up, I've been diving into the backlog. So this one is up for the game of the year, and I definitely recommend you jump into this one. It's really, really good fun, and it's available on Xbox Game Pass. I definitely recommend jumping in. So next up, let's have a look at my review of It Takes Two. So It Takes Two is a co-op game where you play as the soon-to-be-divorced pairing of Cody and May. So much like the plot of an 80s Disney movie, they've turned into toys and they have to reach their daughter to figure out how to turn back into humans. So this one has co-op gameplay at its very best and it's one of 2021's standout games. So Hazelight Studio found their niche and its co-op games. You know, Way Out was set in prison and they followed that with another pairing, Trapped. But this time they're trapped as tiny figurines in a big world and you and a friend or a loved one have to navigate our protagonist double act to safety. So the platforming and the puzzles are so well thought out. They're unique and fun. You'd almost think this was made by Nintendo. But it wasn't. It was made by Hazelight Studios. And given what they've achieved here with It Takes Two, I think you should be paying attention to whatever they make next. We start out in the game with Cody and May arguing with their daughter watching in the background. So Cody and May, they're married, but they're bickering and it appears as if their marriage is breaking down beyond repair. Well, their daughter is playing with toys in the window watching all of this occur. And at the same time, she's playing with the toys, pretending they are our parents and she's imagining them making up and living happily ever after. She cries and she wishes at the same time for them to fix their marriage so they can stay together as a family. And at that moment, Cody and May transform into toys. Well, Cody and May then have to make their way back from the garden, from back into the house to reach their daughter. But given they're now tiny and the world is supersized, it's going to be some task. Plus, they're going to have to work together. So this is the main premise of It Takes Two. It's a co-op platformer puzzling adventure where you have to play with someone else. You can do this either in local co-op or online. But personally, me and my wife play couch co-op. I don't think we've played a better game since Super Mario 3D World in terms of pure co-op fun. So there's so many great ideas in here and they come at you with a frantic pace. You know, one minute you're going to be chasing around spark plugs with legs and fighting a giant hoover, and then next you're going to be fighting a squirrel dressed up like a bee. Well, the game manages to switch between the gameplay styles from platforming, puzzling and sometimes beat-em-up. You've got a dungeon crawler and it's all done really seamlessly with confidence and ease. And different gameplay styles don't feel crowbarred in. You know, it just feels organic and well-placed, but it's definitely aware of making the player's time more entertaining. The core gameplay mechanics feel great too. So Cody and May, they've got the basics. They can jump, double jump, dash and duck. You know, they're responsive and the movements are really funny in themselves too. For example, when you hold down the left stick and run fast, somehow even that is entertaining. So as well as the basics, the characters have abilities that change from level to level. So Cody and May's abilities complement one another too, often working in tandem so you can navigate the environments or battle the enemies. So the game eases you in with a simple tutorial and then slowly ramps up the difficulty. So for example, May might have a hammer on her back and Cody's got a nail. Then you have to work as a team to explore and navigate the environment. 
So for example, Cody might have to shoot a nail into the wall, and then May have to run over and jump using the hammer on her back, and it all works really, really well together. So it's really inventive, and the ability pairings switch up from level to level, so they never really overstay their welcome, and it's really, really inventive stuff. Well, the main protagonists, they're fun and responsive, easy to control, and they offer up plenty of variety when it comes to the skills and ways to play. To the environments, they're equally as enticing. So the small character in a big world is a classic move, made famous by Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And there's something fascinating about a supersized world, and here the developers done a great job of creating a playful world where there's so much of it is interactive, and it's really enjoyable too. So finding the fun is often a phrase used in games, and there's plenty of fun to be found here in It Takes Two. So the gameplay is outstanding with surprises around every corner. That's going to no doubt delight you and whoever is playing with you. And the story is okay, if not a little bit predictable, but it's definitely not your 90s feel-good story. It's much more of a modern take. Yeah, outside of the two main characters, you've got Dr. Hakeem, the Book of Love, who can get on your nerves a little bit. So he's there along for the ride to try and get Cody and May back together, but his voice work and overall character design is pretty annoying. One of the best things about It Takes Two is it's easy to play with someone else. And if you buy the game, you get a code for someone else, so it's very easy to pick up and play. And it's also added to Xbox Game Pass recently, making it even easier if you want to share it with a friend. So I reckon the best way to play is on the couch, either with a loved one, or with someone from your family, or with a friend. Or I guess you can play it online too and over Discord. But there's nothing like taking on the bosses in this game with someone next to you. Me and my wife had a really, really good fun taking on that first boss. There was phase after phase of difficulty, and when we finally beat the boss, we high-fived and hugged each other. It was really, really good stuff. So It Takes Two is an ambitious co-op puzzle platformer that's so well executed, so it makes you sit up and take notice regarding what Hazelight Studios are doing. Here they've crafted a wonderful game in terms of gameplay, and constantly changing and evolving the mechanics without it feeling forced or complicated. So it's a touching story and a highly memorable game, and if you haven't played it, then you really, really should. I recommend playing it with a loved one, be that a partner, a kid, or a parent, but it's going to be a great experience, and one that you can look back on together. Well, the game was developed by Hazelight Studios. It was published by EA. It's available for the Xbox, PlayStation, PC, and Nintendo Switch, and it was originally released on the 26th of March, 2021. Well, that is it for my review of It Takes Two, and it is, of course, up for Game of the Year 2021, and to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if this takes it. It's really innovative, it's really good fun, and it's a really good example of co-op gameplay too. Well, that is it for now for It Takes Two, but next up, let's have a look at another one. This one is a really different game, and this one is Inscription. So Inscription is a creepy card game that has managed to climb head and shoulders above the pack this year. It's one of those games that you need to check out before 2021 comes to a close. It's a card game where sometimes the cards talk back. You can merge cards together, plus try and devise a plan to escape from the predicament that you find yourself in. So Inscription is full of surprises and things keep getting weirder and weirder as you play. So at the heart of the game, it's a card game with animals on them. And each animal has points, defense, and other attributes, and it's your job to inflict enough damage on your opponent before they do the same to you. Lose more than twice and you're going to get strangled, and then it's game over. Well, the game starts off with you in the dark, and something has clearly gone wrong, and you find yourself as a prisoner. You play the game from the first-person perspective, and at first, all you see are these piercing, 
Evil Eyes in the Dark, followed by a game of cards, which you're prompted to play. Why? Well, we don't really know, but these eyes across the table don't look friendly, so for the time being, it's just best to follow along and play nice. So you appear to be in a cabin in the woods, stuck with this madman, with only the cards for company. In between goes, you're welcome to go out from your seat and have a look around. Only try not to touch anything, and definitely don't try to leave the cabin. Otherwise, the being with the piercing eyes is going to get mad, and that's going to lead to bad things happening. And it's all really sinister and dark, but there's humour weaved through the game too. Well, the graphics, the audio, the environment, the first-person perspective, it all adds up to a very unsettling experience. So this one is published by Devolver Digital, and you can tell from the tone and the artwork so everything builds up around you, creeps you out, including the fiery eyes and the distorted, freaky warbling of the person or thing sitting opposite playing with you. It's not a gaming experience that you're going to quickly forget. Well, the card game itself is fairly simple, but also very tactical. You've got a couple of cards in your hand when you start. You've got to place them down at a cost of blood or bones. To place down better cards, you're going to likely have to sacrifice weaker cards, but this cost brings greater attacking benefits, and ultimately you want to inflict enough damage on your opponent. So for each attack damage point, a small weight is going to be placed on the scales, and it's your job to tip the scales entirely in your favour and take down your opponent. Well, each card is an animal or object of some kind, for example, a snake, a wolf, a mantis, a cat, a magpie, and things that can block your opponents like wood or rock. Not all of your creatures will survive the battle as you sacrifice along the way and accrue the resources you need in blood and bones. And the objective of placing cards down is to inflict damage on your opponent. However, they can place down blocking cards which will soak up that damage. In between the games, you've got the chance to power it with cards, splice them together or sacrifice them in order to gain an advantage. There's also items given to you in bottles like a stash of bones or a spare squirrel card. And there's the little campfire that allows you to upgrade the card's health or attack, but it can be risky if you decide to do this, and it's all about balancing the risk versus the reward. And if this all sounds a little strange, well, it is, but it gets easier once you get into the game and get your head wrapped around the cards and the concepts. So there's bonus items too, for example, a set of pliers that you can use to tip the scales in your favour. I was thinking, oh, you know, okay, you can simply place the pliers on the scales, but no, Actually, you pull out one of your own teeth to tip the scale, so it's these inventive, sometimes disgusting, but imaginative gameplay elements that allow inscription to stand out from the crowd in the card game space. Well, the game starts out looking very simple, but there's real depth to the game, and it's simple to pick up and play, but it's hard to master, which is everything that you want in a game like this. There's a small barrier to entry and understanding what the cards mean, and also the rules, but you're taken through a decent tutorial to learn the ropes. So after a few hours of play, the game starts to open up and make much more sense as you get to grips with the cards and how they interact with each other. As you play, new elements open up on the map, and also surprising story elements will appear too, but try to avoid spoilers and experience it for yourself if you can. Well, Inscription is a surprising game with twists and turns, not only in the plot, but also in the gameplay and the mechanics. Things start out as a simple creepy card game, but buckle up as things are about to get super strange. It's one of a number of standout indie hits in 2021, and definitely something you should seek out and play before the end of the year, as I have a feeling this is going to be on a few games of the year list in the next few weeks. Well, the game was developed by Daniel Mullins, it was published by Devolver Digital. 
It was available for PC and it was released on the 19th of October 2021. Well, that is it for my review of Inscription. Definitely one of the most interesting games I've played this year. Really, really creepy stuff and also a really fun card game too, which keeps you coming back for more. Definitely recommend Inscription. You can pick that one up on Steam. There's also a really good demo involved. So if you don't want to shell out for the cost of the game immediately, you want to try the demo, I definitely recommend doing that. Well, that is it for Inscription for now. But next up, let's have a look at my review of Halo Infinite Multiplayer. Microsoft recently held their 20th anniversary stream to celebrate 20 years of Xbox and therefore 20 years of Halo, and rumours had been circulating the weekend before related to an early launch of Halo Infinite multiplayer, and it actually happened. Well today I'm going to have a look at Halo Infinite and go over my early impressions of the multiplayer after about 10 hours of playtime. Well Halo Infinite's multiplayer has been released early and it's a nice surprise, even though it was slightly spoiled over the weekend before. You know, keeping something 100% secret these days is really tricky. However, I'm not really sure there was someone out there that was 100% confident of the release. You know, if you're like me, you may have heard the rumours, but I was really doubtful that it was actually going to happen. But saying that, it was a perfect time, you know. So it was Xbox and Halo's 20th anniversary, plus Battlefield 2042, perhaps had the worst launch possible the weekend before. So this was the perfect time to launch, and whoever made that decision to launch early, well, hats off to you. And Halo Infinite does have a beta badge at the moment, and it is its first season, Heroes of Reach, and that has officially kicked off, and it's going to run until next May in 2022. Well, it was released early, but let's have a look at what has been released. So Halo Infinite is a free-to-play multiplayer arena shooter, and for the majority of the time, it's 4v4 in quick play and ranked modes. Everyone starts with the same weapons, so you've got a pistol and an auto rifle, and there's various game modes where you either have to score the most points in the allotted time, or complete the objective-based game modes. So as well as 4v4, there's also Big Team Battle with 12 vs 12, and that is pretty chaotic, plus full of vehicles and heavy weapons too. We've also got the various customization options for our Spartan, where we can change the appearance through color, attachments, AI, and then you've got the battle pass and the progression, but we're going to get into that a little bit later on. Firstly, the feel of the game is very distinctly Halo. You know, for me, this is 343 knocking out of the park in terms of how a Halo game should feel. You've got the gunplay, the movement, the time to kill. They're all pretty much spot on. So if you follow this week in video games, well, you're going to know I'm a fan of Destiny and also the Bungie era of Halo. And then I dropped off when it came to Halo Reach multiplayer and then 4 and 5 didn't really sit well with me. You know, there's something about the 343 era of Halo games that have just felt off in some respect. But Halo Infinite feels just right. You know, I particularly appreciate the modern features like running, aiming down sights and mantling. So you may laugh when hearing that list, as it's all a pretty standard thing when you think about other games like Apex Legends, Call of Duty, Destiny 2 and Fortnite. But these features were missing from what I would call the glory days of Halo multiplayer with 2 and 3. And these features really do bring it right up to date. The time to kill is longer than in most games, meaning you can go into an encounter, have a gunfight with one or two opponents and potentially come out on top. So if you end up facing more than one player and they team shot you, it's highly likely that you're not going to survive. But this isn't Valorant or Call of Duty and the time to kill is pretty high, so I would focus on breaking those shields and taking down your opponents as quick as you can. Well, the fact that everyone starts off the same is perfect and there's no nonsense starter abilities, which is really refreshing. So this is all about map knowledge, 
positioning and knowing where the weapons are, and also knowing where the abilities spawn too. You know, abilities aren't too oppressive, and you've got things like a shield that you can throw down, the repulsor, which allows you to reflect grenades, plus if you use it against the ground, you can actually jump up high into the sky. You've got an overshield, also an invisibility cloak, plus the grapple hook too. Well, the simple grapple hook was laughed at when it was shown off in the 2020 Halo gameplay reveal. Now, everyone thought, grapple hook, is that it? You know, is that all you could come up with? But it's one of the best additions to the game. And it really allows you to create those hero moments, which are infinitely shareable on social media. So you can jump off a building and grapple onto your opponent, shooting them as you slide towards them, and then finish them with a swift melee to the face. You can also grapple a banshee midair and chuck out the pilot, and then go on to kill the remaining teammates raining down lasers from the sky. And you can also use the grapple to save yourself from falling off the edge. So I think one of the best clips I've seen is someone grappling onto a warthog, taking over the driving while enemy passengers on board, they're driving off the edge of the map, killing the opponent, and then grappling back to safe in one swift manoeuvre. You know, if the grapple hook was a meme when it was first shown off, it's definitely not now. It has to be one of the best features added to the game. So Halo Infinite does have a few game modes to start off with, which are split between quick play and big team battle. So within quick play, this is split further to capture the flag, oddball, slayer, fiesta. You've got stronghold too. So capture the flag as we have to get the opponent's flag and return it to your base. We're trying to stop the enemy team from doing the same thing. Oddball is where you have to hold a skull and accrue points to win. And then you've got Slayer is your standard deathmatch style game mode. And Fiesta is where you start with a random weapon. And it's definitely pretty chaotic, but loads of fun. And finally, you've got Stronghold where you have to hold down a zone, either A, B or C. And when you control two zones, well, you gain points. We've also got Big Team Battle modes, which are 12v12 gameplay. So Big Team Battle tends to be played on bigger maps and usually involves vehicles. So I have seen feedback from players who think there's not enough game modes have been added, but personally, I think there's plenty of gamers. So I think players are just comparing it to MCC, which to be honest has been iterated on over a number of years. Finally, we've also got ranked mode, so if you want to get sweaty and competitive, this is the place to be, and you have to play a few matches to get ranked, but it's great to see 343 that the game is set up to be competitive from day one. So there's a mix of old and new weapons here, including the trusty pistol, an automatic rifle, which you start with. The battle rifle returns and feels great. You've got the classic rockets, energy sword and carbine too. Plus you've got some new weapons including the shot rifle, the mangler, disruptor, bulldog, heatwave, stalker rifle, skewer, cinder shot and also the ravager as well. So you've got plenty of classic weapons to get nostalgic about, but also loads of new weapons to play with as well. So Halo Infinite has events too, and the first one kicked off on the 23rd of November, and runs until the 30th, and the first event is called Fractures Tenrai, and the introduction of the event brings its own battle pass and loads of cosmetics, which includes some awesome looking samurai style armour. So as well as your regular battle pass, the event introduces a dedicated event pass, which you then have to progress to unlock the cosmetics. Well unfortunately, the progression in Halo Infinite is in a tough place at the moment, due to the slow nature of progression, so Fractures Tenrai also brought Fiesta with it, which is a fun, albeit a little chaotic game mode, we spawn with random weapons. Yeah, it's fun, but a little bit frantic. The main sticking point with the launch at the moment has been the progression of the battle pass, and it's been further exacerbated by the seasonal event. So 343 wanted the progression of the battle pass to be directly related to challenges, which would reward the amount of XP per challenge completed. Well, the feedback from the audience was immediate, and progression was too slow, and the challenges forced you to play a particular way, and there was no way to passively earn XP through just playing. 
So 343 have been on a short break since the launch, as I imagine they've been crunching really hard to get the game out on time. And unfortunately for 343, a bunch of feedback has come in from the audience related to progression and cosmetics, and their inbox is going to be bursting at the seams when they get back from their well-deserved break. So I think in the grand scheme of things, it's a pretty good problem to have. You know, the worst case scenario would be the community complaining about the gameplay, the gunplay and the feel of the game. However, much of the feedback has been focused on the battle pass and the progression, which doesn't feel too difficult to solve. You know, there's going to be a number of short-term fixes, and then 343 have already responded by making XP available by playing matches. And it does look highly likely a wholesale revamp of the Battle Pass system is needed, but it is encouraging that 343 have said they're open to feedback and working with the community. You know, I think it could be a whole lot worse for 343. The reviews for the most important aspect of the game, like gameplay, are pretty glowing, and hopefully through feedback and iteration, they can get the Battle Pass back on track. Well, that is it for my early thoughts for the Halo Infinite multiplayer. After about 10 hours of gameplay, I'd love to hear what you think on patreon.com forward slash this week in video games. It'd be great to hear what you think of this revamped version of Halo. And was it worth the wait? Well, that is it for my thoughts on Halo Infinite multiplayer. But next up, let's have a look at what we've got coming out in the next few weeks. Well, on the 29th of November, we got Oddworld Soulstorm. That is finally coming to the Xbox Series S and X and the Xbox One. We also have on the 30th, Beyond the Steel Sky. It's coming out on PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S and X, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch. We've got Evil Genius 2 World Domination. That's PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4. Then we got Fights in Tight Spaces. That's Xbox Series S and X, Xbox One, and PC. We also have Solar Ash. That's coming out on PS5. PS4 and PC, that's a really good one, really looking forward to that one, coming from Heart Machine. And then we've got Chorus, that one's coming out on PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S and X, Xbox One Stadia and PC. And I haven't really heard much from that one since we saw it at a PlayStation 5 showcase. But next up we've got Danganronpa Decadence, that's coming out on Nintendo Switch, that is on December the 3rd. Then also on December the 3rd we've got Danganronpa S, Ultimate Summer Camp, that's coming to Nintendo Switch 2. On December the 7th, we got Final Fantasy XIV Endwalker, and this is a massive release for fans of Final Fantasy XIV. And earlier today, I actually downloaded Final Fantasy XIV, and I would love to jump into that soon. Also on the 7th, we got Spellbound 3 Reforced, that's PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, and PC. And then on December the 8th, we got the Halo Infinite Campaign, that one is coming to Xbox Series S and X, Xbox One, and PC. On the 9th of December, we've got another great one. It's Loop Hero. That's coming on Nintendo Switch. Also, on the 9th of December, we've got Monster Rancher 1 and 2 DX. That's coming to Switch, PC, and also iOS. Finally, on the 9th of December, we've got Witchwood. That's coming to PS5, Xbox Series S Next, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. So I think of all the games there, the ones that catch my eye are Solar Ash. That's from Heart Machine. That one's coming out on the PS5. We've also got Final Fantasy XIV Endwalker. I'm really looking forward to jumping into Final Fantasy XIV. Well, that is it for this week's episode. And if you want to get involved in the show, get in contact through patreon.com forward slash this week in video games or check out the latest on the website. You can send in your questions, your comments and your video game stories. I'm always interested in hearing from you. Well, thank you so much for watching or listening. And for more This Week in Video Games content like this, subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast app and share with a friend. To join our community, check out the Discord link in the description. You can follow me on Twitter at TWIVG Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast or found it useful, liking and sharing it would really help me out. Otherwise, 
check out the other podcasts in the feed. Well, thanks again. I'll see you soon.